Hi, I'm Jillian Frumkin from Buffalo Grove, Illinois. We continue to hear about steps that will be taken after the U.S. wins the war, but what will define a win? Well, I think the lives of everyone in Iraq are going to be improved at the moment Saddam Hussein leaves, uh, and that's a win. It's 15 minutes to the deadline in Iraq, and as the clock ticks down, is there any chance Saddam Hussein will leave anytime soon? Doesn't look like he's going to, so in addition to keeping our eyes on the clock, we'll also be spending the next hour looking at the big picture. What is the military's likely strategy? What obstacles can Iraq put in the way? And what happens once we win? When we come back, should freedom fries become french fries once again? We'll be right back. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. And this is Abby Martin. How's everybody doing out there? Are you doing good, Abby? It's been a while. Oh, sorry. I thought you were just talking to our audience. I'm, I'm talking, talking to, out there I'm talking in the ether. you, too. Yeah. Um, I am doing well, Robbie. Sleepless nights abound, but I am hanging in there. Last night was a little tough, but luckily I got a shitload of notes for today's episode, and I am ready to rock. You can tear gas me all day. I am ready to rock. Nerve gas me. <laughs> yeah, you remember the... <laughs> So I, I waited, I was very difficult to wait, wait for this opportunity to record this with you because of course, last month, I don't remember the exact date, but it was like towards the end of last month, Tucker Carlson was let go from the Fox News Network. It seemed very sudden. He didn't seem like he even did like a final episode or a goodbye episode of his show. Everyone was really shocked. When I say everyone was really shocked, it's mostly like people who like him who are like upset, shocked, you know, and of course, a slew of people who were supposedly identified as leftists were also having sorrow, expressing sadness, and even like saying basically that without Tucker, uh, there is no anti-war voice on, on television anymore. Speaking sentiments like this after his show was ended on Fox news. And uh, of course for me, it was extremely frustrating uh, vomit inducing and almost just like, like physically painful to see these morons, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel, expressing anything other than complete utter horseshit about someone who's basically taken the crown in this country, in my opinion, of being at the top of what, we, you know, we can describe or some people could describe as like control the opposition media. First, it was Alex Jones. Then it was basically Trump in a way kind of took that mantle over from Alex Jones. And then it became Tucker Carlson. And yet a ton of people, Abby, even people in our own like peer group completely got sucked into this obvious scam of Tucker being some kind of truth telling hero that was playing an important role in media. On a personal, like, vindictive level, I'm glad his show is over. So some of these people who are probably making mil- raking millions of dollars in from being booked on his show, these fake leftist people, like celebrity leftist people, I'm glad now that they're kind of they kind of have to f- now figure out ways to scrounge together more money because that income stream they were getting was probably super powerful. Getting that Tucker Boost, the most popular TV news show in the country, now that it's gone. Good luck, guys. 
So that's my intro. <laughs> you, you go ahead, Abby. Um, like well, to hear your it's piece. not it's not just the ostensible left who <laughs> somehow got booked on Tucker's show. It, it's also just like a weird array of like right wing conspiracy stuff, the vaccine skepticism stuff, which is like you know we can go into that all day. But like the weird the Brownstone Institute people. I mean, it was a lot of really strange people that were getting boosted. Um, and so, yeah, it is going to be fascinating to see where where does that energy go and are these people going to be able to... Oh, I mean, we know the answer to that. Yeah, they're going to still make a shitload of money and still make tens of millions of dollars because that is where the money lies, Robbie, is this alleged um, truth-telling, you know, underground truth-telling network that only existed in the avenues of Tucker Carlson somehow was allowed on the airwaves. But Robbie, that's why he got fired, of course, because he was this renegade voice that stepped on the toes of the elites. Um, And I want to get into that in a second, that theory, of course. But, you know, it it is very surprising and it was very shocking to me that he was just shit canned so quickly overnight. He had this primetime show, um, the most watched show on TV for many, many years. Um, So to be promptly fired without warning is a big deal. You know, not even giving him a final show. I can relate, (laughs) even though I was given a final show, like I can relate to just how weird that is to just get cut off, even though you are um, one of the most popular shows on a TV network um, because of just some personal animus, you know. But, you know, he had 3.4 million nightly viewers at the time of his ousting, and he was making $20 million a year. Now, a lot of people close to the situation, you know, there's all these sources, of course, insider details who I, I that I think are totally false and just, you know, um, amplified by the corporate media for one reason or another that are just not relevant. But I did think it was interesting that, you know, People have said over the years that he like really directly spoke to Murdoch and Fox Corp executives like he was the the shining star of the network. In fact, he was able to generate income that not a lot of other people were able to, especially with the dropping of advertisers like flies, you know, because of his um, virulent racism that he was spewing on a nightly basis. So he was able to kind of move people over to Fox Nation subscriptions. Um, According to Murdoch, they were upped by 40% because of Tucker's boosting of them. He also had those two other shows, Robbie, the the sit-down, like, talk show kind of deal that he did. um, Let me just really quickly interject Mm -hmm. here is that he got Fox News. I mean, this is how lavishly he was treated. Mm -hmm. He got Fox News to build him his own personal studio like in like on his property in like in maine, maine. Yeah. yeah like that's how much he was that's how like much he was treated like royalty not i mean i can't think of any other anchors even on any other mainstream news network who were that was done for them i mean can you totally. even draw a parallel like anderson no. cooper i mean i'm sure some of these people maybe have gotten paid more perhaps i don't know but yeah that's that alone speaks volumes i think about how valuable he was to the network. I mean, that's exactly. that's like royalty levels. Like he had extreme sway. Um, and yeah, sorry, continue with your... No, yeah, he did. He did have extreme sway. And he also had this other documentary channel going um, 
I don't know if it was actually airing on Fox or another channel, but it was very strange, Robbie, because, you know, we're talking about this kind of controlled op angle of Tucker, but he was also dabbling in the world of like bizarre offbeat conspiracies like cattle mutilation. Yes. In this other documentary series that he was directing. Well, and UFO, I mean, he was primary in the mainstream media as far as like being one of the first mainstream media people to sort of go along with what we think is some kind of weird managed, you know, UFO rollout by the U.S. government. He was one of the people who was primary in that. And what's really strange, it's not just him doing the cattle mutilation thing. It's like a whole sector of the same weird block of like right wing media, like going all the way to mainstream down to like alt media. It's kind of like this weird lockstep like we're all talking about catamutilation right now. Check it out. No, I mean it's re- it's really interesting. That's and fascinating. I don't dude. really, I don't really know exactly what's going on, but I mean we already do know that Luis Elizondo and all those people who are prominently sort of pushing the new UFO thing are not necessarily to be trusted. And it is very odd that people like Christopher Mellon, Luis Elizondo now have like a literal like discovery channel show where they're like hunting down UFOs and like it's showing like (laughs) Christopher Mellon in the car, like talking about how he's going to go interview UFO witnesses and stuff. And it's like, this shit is really suspicious. And it, it is odd. I mean, it is odd to blend in not just UFO stuff, in on Tucker's program, but yeah, the catamutilation stuff. Where what is the, what is that designed to do? Is it just sort of meant to amp up paranoia? I mean, in general, his whole programming has had an undercurrent of like normie armchair conspiracism going in it for a long time. Anytime there's been like a, for example, like when there was those several warehouses were like on fire, where like a bunch of like food caught on fire. Do you remember when that happened Mm -hmm. like a few months ago? His programming was basically like, what are the elites trying to do? Are they trying to like mint, like, like create a false scarcity with the food supply to like, like be able to like control us and strangle us or nice. Like a false flag right out of the gate. Yeah. Just totally right out of the gate. So like, that's the kind of interesting spin that his programming had at times. It's the elites that are doing this, but there was always sort of the implication, even if he wouldn't overtly say it, that these elites were like partisan Democrats. And even though he would act like at times, like I'm not partisan, I think that both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are bad. Sort of underlying message is that these elites are largely Democrats or leftists or rhinos, right? right? They're never, the elites are never very right wing in general. I mean, that's kind of the rule or the framing that permeates everything he talks about right Um, and and as carlos maza that media critic guy who was like excoriated by like the right wing he was like their number one target for a minute because he was trying to get i forget who i think steven crowder like deplatformed on youtube but i thought he made a good point which is that the goal of tucker's show isn't to challenge the elite even though he constantly talks about this kind of ubiquitous ambiguous notion of the elites It's to make sure that you never realize, like, who are the elites? Because you're so mad at immigrants and millennials and trans people and feminists and marijuana smokers and vegans and M&Ms and whatever else. It's like you're never really focusing on, wait, who who is this cabal of elites that you, you know, that that run the Heritage Foundation that you just gave the keynote at? Like, who are they, Tucker? 
You're just punching down. You're just punching down on the most marginalized people in society. And that's, I thought that was just like a, it really hit the nail on the head about what his program really was designed to do. I mean, he did, he obviously did plenty of that. And he would occasionally like try to like act like he's exposing a particular elite. And he, I mean, I remember he even did something about Paul Singer, the guy who um, was a big Republican donor at one time. He did some weird, completely like out of left field program about how Paul Singer was like some investment he made was like destroying some small town in the Midwest somewhere. And so he would very, very rarely do programming like that. But even when he would, it would almost seem like this weird half hearted, like gesture, like, like did Paul, or like, are you guys trying to like get something for Paul Singer? Is this why you're running like a really mildly critical program about him that like almost means nothing when like he's doing all this other shit like he was involved in the steel dossier things like that and you don't even mention that on the program you just talk about how some random obscure thing he did like made some weird town we've never heard of hurt it's so he would do things like that that would almost seem like a weird bone throw sometimes to be like mm-hmm. so that on paper you'd be like oh he did do a program about this rich person or this person or like Jeff Bezos for example yeah like, they're all part it's, it's like, all the partisan dems it's, you know or it's just easy pickings low hanging yeah, fruit right. where it's like well everybody talks about you know how Jeff Bezos and Amazon is like is bad for these reasons or everybody knows how you know uh certain corporate like he he would talk about certain corporations sometimes but in general it would always come down to this idea that they don't respect, um, you know, hardworking Americans uh, and all this kind of stuff. But the implication, as always, is that the hardworking Americans are not do not share leftist values. You know, um, it was always anti-union, pretty much. It was always anti any sort of like LGBT rights group, and even and and this is I think one of the most disgusting things that he did is he definitely dabbled in and reinforced and amplified the idea that gay grooming or that like transgenderism is some kind of way to groom children sexually. He he really did uh, start leaning into that, especially in the last like six months of his program. And he had Chaya Ratchik, the woman who runs Libs of TikTok, I think she she came out and identified herself on his program yes, for the first time, if she I'm did. not mistaken. The Libs and of TikTok, know, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, when you sow that much hatred for trans people on the most watched show in cable news, and when we're talking about trans people make up or comprise of like less than 1% of the population, like what what is that doing? And we see the effects of that all across the country. Um, so when people say, you know, like both parties are obviously like marching toward fascism, right? We understand that. We've been talking about the danger of the two-party duopoly for quite a long time. But when you try to actually downplay the threat of the Republican Party, when the Republican Party is instating legislation to criminalize being trans, it's just like all of the shit that, that is actually being enacted into law across the country, it's very disturbing that that is just kind of fallen by the wayside and people are just focusing on what AOC says on TikTok. I mean, let's zoom out here and really look at what is the effect of this dangerous rhetoric. Because when you have this mass shooting that happened at the Covenant School in Nashville six weeks ago, 
the person was trans. Of course, it became about how trans people have this dangerous, um, you know, murderous ideology. And everyone's like, oh, my God. And then you have just this ridiculous slew of takes afterward that people just punching down on trans people when already trans people are are most likely to be the victims of violence. You know, suddenly it, it became flipped. And that's because of people like Tucker sowing the seeds of hatred, having people like Chaya Ratchik on, promoting libs of TikTok almost every week on his show, boosting the account. I mean, what does this do? It's really fascinating. I, I mean, just speaking on libs of TikTok really quick, she's from a sect of Judaism called Chabad that is that does in, in some ways do very strange things with children, and she should not be getting onto this high horse and acting like she can call other people groomers just based on that fact alone. The the Chabad sect of Judaism is very, very disturbing in a lot of ways. And it is, and it's also very odd too, the way that someone like her, when you have someone like Tucker, like basically being like, we're unmasking you so you can show your face because you're being like attacked by the left and being sent death threats and all this stuff. It may, it gives the appearance that she's just like some grassroots single person mm-hmm, mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. has, you know, been up against all this torrent of liberal hate just from trying to expose groomers and expose like the, you know, the 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 dangerous nature of the LGBT movement. But yet, she's represented by people who are connected to the Mossad, for which is I mean I mean this is not even made up. Like her lawyers was like a guy who worked for the Mossad. She. She is extremely boosted with a network of individuals and employees. To say that she's just one person that's like a grassroots activist is completely fiction. She is basically like a, like a, like the, the, her, her whole thing is that she is being like boosted and funded and she has like a team of people. So it right, is almost it like, like a media Babylon, organization. Wasn't it like the same people who were running the Babylon yes. Bee like bought the libs of TikTok domain or something? Well, I don't know if they bought the domain, but basically for the, almost the whole time we've been hearing about it, Abby, it's been like a media apparatus pretending to be a person on Twitter. That's what's so fascinating about all this stuff is like you're supposed to buy into this surface level fiction that's designed basically to hit the dumbest people and and make it seem believable to them. But it's all you have to do is zoom out a little bit and be like, this is not at all what this how this appears. This is a complete fucking game that they're trying to play. You know, one giant part of his legacy is really cementing this hatred against trans people at such a critical time in this country's history of anti-trans bigotry and um criminalization his father was very involved in a famous um case exposing like a trans woman who was like a scammer who was trying to put out some car is a whole completely other story that i won't go into but yeah just i want yeah maybe we could talk about that when we get into his dad because that is really interesting there's so many interesting things about who tucker is and what he actually came from but let's go back really quickly to just his ousting because um It is a funny final show, (laughs) you know, like I'm sure he was very mad that he wasn't able to give this big takedown of the elites and the one party system and how he's this truth teller and how all truth tellers get fired. And, you know, that video that he ended up posting after he was ousted on Twitter that got fucking like a half a billion like views, which is like a quintessential him 
yeah. acting like he's railing against the elites rant. But he but like doesn't nothing. say anything no, it's because just, he knows. Yeah, he it's just all ambiguous. That's but that's the thing about Tucker, isn't it? That he just says the most basic truths that everyone can stand behind mm-hmm. in this country, most people. But he doesn't go deeper and actually explain what he's talking about. And so it really is scraping the bottom of the barrel in the most dumbed down way imaginable to attract people to this rhetoric that is so generalized that you actually have no idea what the hell he's talking about. And then when you dig a little deeper, you realize that he's really talking about like trans people and immigrants. Um, And it's sad, actually, because a lot of people will watch that video and say, look, but he's who else says this about the two parties and who else says this about the media? It's like, but but that's so obvious, though, right? Like you pick 10 people off the street and nine of them are going to agree with you yeah. about that. Well, he but says that's that's the that's the appeal of Tucker. He says sometimes he'll say very specific things that are that are very catchy to people in the world of parapolitics, conspiracy, deep state, left people even. And one of those things that he said after he left Abby was on a segment with Tulsi Gabbard. I don't know where this was. They he was basically telling her that the CIA has so much influence in journalism that some like they actually have like they control members of Congress and they control like members in the press. And and so like all these people were posting this video and you know saying like look like this he's telling the truth guys like this he's he's right. And it's so I posted it being like it's so bizarre to me that someone like Tulsi Gabbard who's still active military intelligence and someone like Tucker who's never really described in full why he was in Nicaragua helping the CIA in their Contra war, which by all implications seems to imply that he worked with the CIA when he was in college. Uh, and they're both there sitting and talking about how other people, nameless, faceless people, are controlled by the CIA. At this point in sort of the media landscape, it's almost meaningless to say something like that. It does seem to be just designed to be catchy and make it seem like you're sort of an edgy anti-establishment truth teller. But what would Tucker, what examples would Tucker actually be able to bring out to say that the CIA controls the press or has influence in the press? And most of those ways that you, if you actually examine the ways that's been done, a lot of the stuff that he talks about and that people like him talk about, it's almost like they've contorted things that have been done to the left or like left reporters or journalists or angles. Like Gary Webb, the guy that he yeah. actually smeared. Yeah, Gary Webb, the guy who exposed CIA uh, drug trafficking. He, Tucker, yeah, Tucker literally tried to ruin that guy. And it's fascinating that you have basically what's been taken from the left, issues that affected the left. The CIA's infiltration of media was largely done to like stifle leftism and like left uprisings in other countries and things like that. So it's fascinating that he could talk about how the CIA has like this influence in media and government, but the actual, like he doesn't actually bring up any examples or historical examples or talking about how the FBI is trying to stifle activist movements in the country. His whole framing is that they're only going after the right when historically it's almost always been directed at left activism. And it's, it is almost like, he has done more in this country to take those real issues that the left has mostly been a target and then act like they're only happening to the right. Well, it's exactly the playbook that we see from Trump. Yeah. 
I mean, that's what we've been talking about for six years now, which is the Trump MAGA crew with Tucker at the helm of the media MAGA movement um, to consolidate messaging. That's what they do. They deflect from what they do. Right. And they make it about the right wing as the martyrs and the victims of the deep state. And it is absolutely fascinating how they've been able to do this so successfully um, and convinced parts of this ostensible left, too. And I will never understand that. But it's just like Trump going out there and saying he hates the neocons. He wants to stop and all the wars. And it's like, what are you doing, though? Like, what are you talking about? You are the president of the fucking United States. <laughs> like, let's talk about your actions. You're hiring neocons. You're dropping the most bombs than any other president. I mean, it just it's ridiculous on its face. And that's what Tucker does, too. And he does it very well. And they know exactly what they are doing, Robbie. That's what I wonder about all this is how it's like Trump was not smart enough to figure that out on his own. Neither was Tucker. To, so it's like, yes, on some level, they're seizing on something and, and, and seizing on a moment to try to exploit things. But s- somehow this has been crafted and sort of deployed. And, you know, it sounds very conspiratorial to say that, but this has just happened so fast, Abby. You know, it's it's if if it only took the Trump era to flip everything, it just still does not fully add up how it's been. I know, this and effective. I, it doesn't make sense that it's just Bannon either. I think that there's a larger web um, that this is being seeded through, and I I mean, I'm still totally perplexed by it. It's it's a baffling trend, and it just seems to get worse despite the fact that Trump is out of office. It just seems like this current is still alive and well and actually getting stronger. Um, but what, can we just go back really quickly to his last show? Because yeah, it, yeah, please. It is so. I didn't funny. watch it, so I want you to walk. Me I mean, through it's it. just insane. I mean, it's. I mean, I didn't watch the entire thing, but like the the way that he signs off is just so pathetic because he's just like eating an actual pizza pie, um, with this delivery guy who apparently like stopped a car thief. You know how he loves these like small crime tales to mm-hmm. to basically just like throw black people under the bus or whatever. Um, but yeah, at the end of the segment, he's, he's just like, I'll see you next week. And he like promotes the eating bugs documentary. <laughs> so it's just, a, it's a total shit show. It's like, here he is eating pizza with this pizza delivery man. And then he's like, all right guys, like see you Monday. And he's like, don't forget to watch my documentary about eating bugs. Um, so let's play a little clip from his last show. So you can see what I'm talking about. We just thought, what a great way to end the week. Yeah. Truly, that was a great segment, and I'm just grateful that you came on, and I'm especially grateful for the pie. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Employee of the week. We're going to just make it of the year. Tyler Morrell of Coco's Pizza. That's it for us for the week. We'll be back. By the way, the entire episode of Let Them Eat Bugs, not quite as good as pizza, streaming now on Fox Nation. Use the promo code ORIGINALS for 30 days free. And we'll be back on Monday. In the meantime, have the best weekend with the ones that you love, and we'll see you then. Yeah, so Robbie, there's a lot of theories floating around, um, and we don't need to go into all of them, but it is so funny, all of the takes. You know, like, the legacy media is just frothing at the mouth to basically, like, be like, I know why Tucker was fired, because he did this, and he did that, and I have insiders that say this and that, and, like, none of it rings true to me at all. No, um, there's some truth to some of it, but I, I'll, some of it, yeah. I got my own theory I'll dish out when, you're, when okay. you go through some of the other ones. 
Let me rattle some off yeah. and I'll just say what I definitely don't agree with. I mean, the New York Times and Wall Street Journal, the two quote unquote papers of record, claim that Carlson was fired after these text messages got revealed through the Dominion voting systems lawsuit that you know, that the, the voting systems lawsuit absolutely could have something to do with it because Fox had to pay nearly a billion dollars to, you know, they had to shell over a billion dollars to this company. And Tucker mm-hmm. was one of the leading proponents of the election fraud claims. And he, according to these text messages, he he knew that it was a lie. But these other text messages that were revealed um, that were embarrassing to him People from these mainstream media publications are like they were so embarrassing for the network that they just like let let him go because he called an executive a cunt or this is were even- these in the leaked text messages or is this just reported on like we we think that or like what well, this wasn't in the oh, ones yeah, that yeah, came yeah, out. Yeah. No, is you're it? totally you're totally right. Um, that one was not leaked. Yeah, because that was just people saying that he called an executive a cunt. Yeah, because we just make a distinction. There was yeah. some text messages yes. leaked of his recently. Not leaked. It was like discovery. Like, yeah, and we're gonna. And I want to say that too because they're some of them are very funny. Um, yeah. I mean, should I just go into that now? Because well, I mean, this is one of the because one of the yeah, text well. messages is like why people actually claim he was fired, which is I think the most hilarious news story of all. Which is another report from the New York Times claiming that a text messages leaked in January 2021 set off such a panic inside Fox News, Robbie, that it just eventually led to his firing a year over a year later um where carlson was watching an antifa guy being beat up and he said that's not how white men fight and everyone was like they were so alarmed by his racism robbie that it snowballed into him being fired it's like like how on earth do you think fox would give a flying fuck when he's saying the craziest stuff imaginable nightly on tv on a live show that is so phony because (laughs) yes that is interesting that he would actually say this is not how white men fight that is i mean that does speak to a level of like racism deeper than you know than he sometimes gives away on his show right but that does not add up at all. I mean, come on. Like, compared to some of the other things he's done and that his head writer did, and just really quickly, I wanted to remind people, if yeah. they didn't remember, his head writer, a guy named Blake Neff, about two years ago, quietly stepped down. You know, the media says that phrase, quietly stepped down. <laughs> he basically quit, resigned, probably because he was pushed out by Fox News after he his account on this, like, incel internet forum got like uh unmasked blake neff his head writer was his account in like an incel internet forum was unmasked and by incel forum i don't just say that like in a you know in a boilerplate way i mean that he was engaging in blake neff was engaging in a two-year-long digital like mockery stalking campaign of an Asian woman that annoyed him that like he knew in real life or oh somehow God. he like saw her in, in where he lived. And uh, it was like just c- like continuous digital harassment in the form of like just mocking this woman and exposing her life. It was something that I've seen on internet forums back like way back in the day because internet forums are just always all men and there always sort of was an undercurrent of misogyny. And sometimes some random person would just become a target and the forum would laugh at them. It was like a version of that, but that went on for two years, like headed by his head writer on this forum. Um, And it's just, 
it's really, really weird to me how like openly racist his head writer was. So it's like we could talk about speculate how racist Tucker is, but just as an example of what his head writer was like posting in the forum. He posts stuff oh like God. black dudes staying inside playing Call of Duty is probably one of the biggest factors keeping crime down, he said. Um, he wow. also wrote a comment saying, honestly, given how tired black people always claim to be, maybe the real crisis is their lack of sleep. It goes on and on. I mean, if you want to actually, <laughs> I mean, I, I yeah. feel like I I get the gist. Yeah, there, there's 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 a lot more. It's disgusting. It's gross. But it's it just to me emphasizes that it's like there's probably so much horrible shit that not just he said, but his own employees said. I mean, it's what's coming off his program. That's the main problem. It's not his behind the scenes text messages. Even the one exactly. where he says that he loathes Trump. You know, which is just another illustration of his complete hypocrisy and duplicitous nature because then he goes and does this fawning interview of trump like two months after that those text messages leak i know i like i love that that text was leaked because you know it was just so humiliating for him because he he wants to grovel to trump so hard Mm -hmm. um he you know like he said i hate him passionately we're very close to being able to ignore trump most nights i truly cannot wait and then he claims that Trump called him all upset and he was just like, you know, he follows up and he's just like, okay, I spent four years defending his policies and I'm going to defend them again tonight. And he's like, I'm pretty straightforward. I love Trump. Like as a person, I think Trump is funny and insightful. (laughs) It's like, okay, dude. Wow. It's so funny. Wow. I mean, it's, and then the interview was of course just very typical him doing that like inquisitive face and just acting like a total cuckold and laughing Like his, his, his overly exaggerated, like, <laughs> like laugh, like, like chortling <laughs> laughter that he does. It's like, that's like, and I think Gumby for Christ nailed it perfectly. He was like, not even like Jimmy Fallon does like embarrassing, like chortling <laughs> to this level. And he's like one of the worst on TV. Who's like right, right, right. giggly and his laugh is just like so fake. It's like, he, you know, anything makes him laugh hysterically. Especially when he, he goes and tells like the Fox five or whatever after his interview with Elon Musk, which was bizarre. Um, but he was just like, I, he was like, Elon Musk was hilarious. And it's like, really yeah <laughs> like you know and then he just like tries to retell this like robotic joke that elon musk told him and like it's like even more unfunny when tucker's relaying it and trying to pretend to laugh at the joke that he's recounting it's just like this is painful dude painful yeah people are also speculating that like he was fired robbie because he actually said that the network lost credibility because they called the 2020 election for Joe Biden and he said those fuckers are destroying our credibility and complained that there was a combination of incompetent liberals and top leadership with too much pride to back down. Yeah, I don't think that that's what caused him to be fired. It's like, what are these takes? Seriously, I mean, there's countless articles. I was flipping through pages and pages of Google search results. Every single article from every single mainstream media publication, there was like five different perspectives of analyzing these texts and saying, no, this is what really caused it. It's like, how could you possibly think these really mild criticisms from a producer or to a producer would cause them to be fired? It's just totally bizarre. And I mean, the only real kernel in there that we can grasp onto is that one of his show bookers left and sued Fox News there and the Tucker program, 
not for sexual harassment, but I think it was like for general harassment. Well, why and- don't you read it um, in the doc right here? If you want to look down, I just highlighted it. Because that, to me, this is the story that rings the most true, especially considering what happened to Bill O'Reilly, who was the top anchor at the network, the most watched show on Fox News, and he actually got ousted because of sexual harassment. And so there was a line that they weren't willing to cross. Not yeah. that not that Tucker was getting charged with sexual harassment, but this di- this did seem like a lawsuit that was going to be problematic for them. And and yeah, you have to consider the history of Fox News. What Roger Ailes did, um, you know, this the op- overt sexual harassment and like assault. I think that he was involved in. I mean, Bill O'Reilly was ousted after basically he tried the to falafel. Yeah, the falafel, the infamous falafel thing. That's what got him knocked off the air. So it is possible that Fox News is more careful and more sensitive about this. But all we know is that, and and you already basically said, is that there was a discrimination lawsuit filed by his former show booker, Abby Grossberg. And uh, according to, and I think, I don't know where you, where this quote comes from. I think this is the New York this, Times. Yeah, this is reported in the New York Times. It says, a producer fired by the network last month, the sources said Grossberg, who fi- formerly worked on Carlson's show, sued Fox News, alleging that Carlson and his producer, Justin Wells, had displayed rampant misogyny and anti-Semitism in the workplace. Mrs. Grossberg <laughs> claims in a federal court filing that, cu- that Carlson's show subjugates women based on vile sexist stereotypes and that it typecasts religious minorities and belittles their tradition. What's most compelling about this theory is that Mr. Wells, who was a prominent figure in Mrs. Grossberg's lawsuit, was fired along Carlson on Monday. Um, I mean, I can't dispute that the New York Times, I mean, that is probably the most compelling thing, is that if they Mm -hmm. fired them together, but I mean, wouldn't they have fired Tucker's entire staff? Like, is there, do we even know? you know, how many of his staff is still on the Fox's payroll. I don't, I don't, I haven't seen those specifics reported. So I think the ver- the jury's still out on, you know, how many other people were fired along with them. If it was just those two and they were the only two named in the lawsuit, then perhaps that's, you know, a part of the reason, but can I just, do you mind if I just like go off on what I think could be part of the reason, just completely off, off the dome. Trump, as we know, is a was a wild card and a loose cannon that really catapulted the Republican Party into a new type of popularity, a new way to market themselves, completely shifted the entire climate of the Republican Party into this pretty unrecognizable sort of beast in a, in a lot of different ways, even though in, in a lot of ways it's also the same Republican Party it's always been. It just gave it this new huge boost of energy, marketing power, Fox News at first, of course, if we go back to be, you know, right before Trump won the primary, they were still gunning against him. A lot of people on Fox News were anti-Trump. And I think it was was like maybe Hannity, who was one of the first people to be like really, really pro-Trump on the network. And, you know, instead of him sort of being the outlier, the network, of course, all sort of went behind Trump when he was president. And even after he won the primary, that's when things really flipped is after the primary. So we know that Fox News was on that ride for a really long time and seemingly even had trouble getting off of that ride even after Trump refused to leave the presidency. Like they were struggling and probably that's when 
we had what I was describing at that time as like the closest thing we got to like a Fox News civil war, where there were corporate executives who were like, we do, like, why can't he just exit gracefully? Like, why are we even entertaining? You know, and you see those, those, there are text messages from Rupert Murdoch around that time being like, you know, I like Trump for certain reasons, even though he was like crass and rude and uncouth a lot, but like, this is not like why we can't support this. Like he, like even Rupert Murdoch was smart enough or savvy enough to just understand on a corporate like marketing or like, you know, business level, like it doesn't make sense for us to really even go down this road, you know? not only is it like ridiculously he's doing, but it's like why it, it kind of had the flavor of like, why are we, we don't need to do this. And he's right. I mean, that's in one way, Rupert Murdoch is probably a savvy businessman is it's a certain point. Trump outlives his usefulness for what the network's purposes are. Now, Tucker Carlson, of course, became really popular during the Trump era and almost served as sort of an extension of Trump's messaging he became sort of an echo chamber specifically for like the flavor that Trump was coming from, like the faux right populist stuff, the deep state stuff, the railing against the elites, the fake news media um, that they're, you know, that when there's bad stories coming out about uh, Trump, that it's actually a conspiracy by the CIA or, you know, and of course, Trump was one of the most prominent people pushing back against Russiagate and things like that and making it, you know, framing it as a partisan witch hunt. All that time, all the way until Trump wins, or sorry, Trump's, Trump loses against Biden, Tucker was sort of his most loyal cheerleader on Fox News, and in a way actually kind of cleaned up, and I would say made Trump's messaging seem a little more coherent and more put together, less of a wild card. Tucker has been in the media business for, you know, almost three decades. So I think that that was probably very, very useful again for not just the Republican party, but like the MAGA wing to have like a more coherent messenger who was able to sort of carry that energy, really drum people up, really hype people up. But then of course we saw Tucker kind of pulling back on the voter fraud stuff for that brief window of time uh, where he like threw Sidney Powell under the bus and then we saw this weird, really quick backlash occur against him online from who knows where it came from, saying he was maybe involved in Pizzagate all of a sudden after he started going after Sidney Powell. And for like a week, it was like the right started to turn on him because they saw that as he was turning on Trump. But then he kind of then he kind of reversed course and started having new messaging about election fraud, saying, well, you know, uh, we don't know exactly what's going on with the Dominion voting machines and the numbers, but I do really understand Americans' frustrations. And there are a lot of irregularities here. And a lot of things do look like voter fraud that we, as the American public, like we, people do have the right to know, you know, and do you remember that he kind of changed his framing to that more general, like, softer? Yeah, I mean, yeah. To, right? but it's a, it was a smart way to spin it, probably to make the corporate execs happy at Fox News to some extent, and also to make Trump's base happy. So it, it ser- I feel like it served both purposes. So, you know, and of course, people like Greenwald re- rewrite history and make it seem like Tucker was the only voice who was not taking the Dominion stuff seriously, even though he only really spoke out, sort of pushed back against it, like on one evening of his program. So it's very cherry picking to representative of some kind of outlier with that. So he definitely got folded back in with that. 
And I think after Trump left Abby, Tucker's popularity, the fact that he became the most popular news show in the entire country, the most watched news personality in the entire country for the next two years or so, Yes, it's a money and and ratings and revenue generator for Fox News. Yes, maybe there were some advertisers that that they lost because of Tucker, but overall, it was a rate a huge ratings boost for their network. Ratings equals more money in in general. That you know that's how the equation usually shapes out, even if you drop a few advertisers along the way. However, I do think Tucker's popularity became somewhat of a let's say managerial problem in the sense that how powerful do you want a single personality on your news network to get? You've already built them a studio in Maine. They're already getting lawsuits all the time. They're already getting all this bad press towards your network that, you know, Fox News has always been under the target as far as like they're, you know, a dangerous, the most dangerous news network in the country. They're putting out hate, etc. But Tucker was getting an extra layer of bad press for them, like on a continuous basis. Like he's what dog whistling to white nationalists. He's, he's sexist. He's right. Ra- I mean, it's so like, I don't remember Bill O'Reilly and Hannity getting that much bad press for Fox news. So you also have to factor that in that at a certain point, there's an equation to look at here, which is how power, how like much clout and influence do they want to allow one of their media figures to have, even when they're, helping the network, you know, boost their image overall like this. And I think at a certain point, you do have to ask the question, Fox News, I mean, the question, well, first I'll just say that Fox News has clearly tried to rebrand and sort of massage and shape and sort of retool their messaging every four years or every election cycle when like a Republican leaves office or when a Democrat gets in. That's what they do. That's what they did at the beginning of the Trump era. I mean, you look at Fox News before the Trump era, it is completely different in terms of the, you know, this whole right populism thing, which they didn't you know, care about or message about it at all. But I think, Abby, what we might be seeing, and for similar reasons why we were hearing about how CNN was going to, originally there was talk that CNN was going to fire Blitzer. Jake Tapper and Don Lemon, like all in the same sweeping sort of house cleaning move. And the rumor or the, the, the story behind that was that CNN no longer wants to be this hyper partisan appearing network. They want to try to be, they want to try to go into this cycle because we're only a year away from the, the next presidential election. They wanted to go into the cycle cleaner and so they can like be sort of rebrand a little bit to be more centrist again. Now, if that's happening at CNN, you would, I could imagine a similar thing, maybe on a different level is happening at Fox where they're like the election cycles coming up. If we keep Tucker on the network with the clout and the fame and the status that he has now, he is not just going to be taking up all the space from the, you know, in terms of the media coverage of our network during the election, he also can move the needle on the election. Like Tucker alone having a Fox news show, I think on a certain level, he will move the needle of the election coverage. He can, he can make or break or King make who the Republican victor is. If, if Tucker wanted to like wage a war against Trump, I do think Tucker could somehow make DeSantis the front runner 
or the opposite. If you wanted to wage a war against DeSantis, you could make Trump the front runner. That's how much power and clout he has. And I think that it, at a certain level, it's like, do we want Tucker to have that kind of power here at the network? Because the Fox News wants to be not just sort of in bed with the Republican Party, but I think they also kind of want to control it as a corporate sort of you know, business entity. And I think Tucker, in some ways, is his own. He He's working for a different agenda, whether it's his own agenda or he has other sort of people that he's loyal to or some other faction. That's not clear, but I do think that that could have played a role. It's like, do we want this guy to have this much influence and sway over the next election cycle on our network? And maybe the answer mm-hmm. ultimately was as successful and as f- powerful and as famous as he is and as much good he's doing for the network, it's ultimately not worth it to keep him on. It's been long enough and maybe now is the time to let him go. So that that's my only <laughs> theory behind it. Um, I don't know if you have any comment on that or if you agree with any of what I said, but that's, that was sort of where my brain went with it because we really haven't, when was the last time we've seen a news figure get this popular? It's been a really long time. I Um, I think it's a really, really good theory and very interesting and by far the most compelling of all of them out there because (laughs) that's true. I mean, I mean, he, he is too powerful for their own good. He, has the ability to be a kingmaker. I mean, he was even positing running for president himself, floating around that idea exactly. around the circle. Yeah. You know, there was a line crossed, I think, probably to Fox executives where they were just like, this is too risky almost to keep this guy on. As you were talking, I was thinking about how Don Lemon was fired the same week and he was one of the top anchors at CNN on air for a very long time. And it's just so funny. You would never hear people think that or like try to claim that he was some renegade that he was fired for truth telling i mean it's the same kind of thing even though he's not nearly as powerful as tucker in terms of like the income that he was raking in for the network but it is just so funny it's like you just take that story totally at face value it's like oh yeah he was a misogynist piece of shit who said that women reach their prime at 20 (laughs) like that's probably why he was fired he pissed off a lot of female (laughs) colleagues but with tucker you're like no like Look beneath the surface. What do the deep state want you to think? You know, like all the typical people who were featured regularly on Tucker's show jumped to his defense on the Internet and said, no, like he must have been fired for his anti-establishment and anti-war views, Robbie, as if Fox executives would give a flying fuck about him talking about Ukraine. Look at all these GOP people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Look at Trump. It's all fake rhetoric. Like, why would they care? It's not unique to Tucker, right? It's not unique to him. It's it's very standard now to see this kind of empty rhetoric levied out there about things like war, the deep state, especially the funding of Ukraine. And then you see people like RFK Jr. going and announcing his presidency on Tucker. And he alleged that Tucker was like, oh, Robbie, it's not just a coincidence that he let him air this segment about vaccine skepticism. He was promoting that shit all the time. So it's just like, what what are we talking about here? I mean, what it just makes no sense. But Robbie, according to people like Glenn Greenwald, who I'm sure is very upset that he is losing his primetime slot, you know how upset he was that he wasn't allowed on MSNBC and CNN. I think that that drives a lot of his animus against liberals, this reflexive contrarianism against just like the liberal establishment. 
that goes against his whole theory that liberal wokeism dominates the airwaves, yet Fox was leading the fray. Like, way more people watch Fox than those networks. And you look at the top podcasts on iTunes and Apple and Spotify, it's the top 10, 7 out of 10 are conservatives. Ben Shapiro, Stephen Crowder, Megyn Kelly, like, Tulsi. You know, it's just such a bizarre theory to think that the left, the liberal left, and um, and wokeness somehow controls like the the consensus of the country. It's just bizarre. But anyway, people like Greenwald even alluded that AOC was somehow behind this. Robbie, is it a coincidence that AOC demanded to deplatform Tucker, even though she has been for years? And all these people, right? Media matters. All of these like liberals have been demanding his deplatforming, but all of a sudden, Robbie, it it worked. And who did it? Oh God. And and as if she wields power over Fox News executives or even the idea that like the Democratic like establishment figures like like or even if we imagine it trying to like in a more less like a exaggerated cartoonish way, like someone like Chuck Schumer calling right. Like right. Fox heads and being like, "Hey guys, it's time. You got to do something about yeah. this sucker guy." <laughs> They're like, it's "Okay." Like, even imagining that seems completely ludicrous. They wouldn't. They wouldn't cave to something like that, even if it happened. You want to hear my? That's theory? not how Fox News operate. Yeah, go do shoot. Here's my theory, dude. It's because he finally talked about Building Seven, baby. Oh my God, that's how come we didn't? Yeah, that's it's right in front of us. <laughs> it's right in front of your face. If, if you go on TV tonight and say, I think the earth is flat, people will just laugh at you. They don't care if you think the earth is flat. It's not a threat to anyone. But if you say, like, what what actually happened with Building 7? Like, that is weird, right? It doesn't, like, what right, is that? Right. If you were to say something like that on television, they'd flip out. They would flip out. So you'd, like, lose your job over that. Why? Why? It's my mm. country. Right. It's an attack on my country. Can I ask it? Like, I don't really understand. Do buildings actually collapse? No, they, maybe they do. I don't know. But like, why can't I ask questions about that? Anything you're not allowed to ask questions about is something you should be asking more questions about. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. That's, that is absolutely why. Dude. Him do you being take the it away? only. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting about that, Abby, is that. Back during the 9-11 truther days, he was <clears throat> the only media figure that brought on um, at least two prominent members of the 9-11 truth movement at the time, um, David Ray Griffin and Stephen Jones. And, you know, the segment with David Ray Griffin is not surprising. It's just him, you know, sort of just like mocking and and sort of saying like how absurd and offensive it is to suggest that the Bush administration had anything to do with this. And that is a, you know, that's not something that it was unique just to his views on 9-11. He would say a lot of things about even the Iraq war, even after he kind of rebranded as being saying the war was a mistake, like a lot of Republicans did. Tucker would still say things like, that he doesn't think that the president's intentions were sinister, that anybody was misled into war. So for a long time, even when he was taking his anti-Iraq war stance, he was still defending the the altruism of the Bush administration's intentions, pretty much at every turn. And right. we'll, we'll go into that a little bit later when we go into his old, some of the old things he said during the Bush era. But it's fascinating because he had on Stephen Jones and, you know, I've... You know, even though Stephen Jones seems like a nice guy, I'll say that 
I, I don't necessarily think that his research was the most sound. He became sort of a figure in the truth movement that made it onto the Tucker Carlson's program when he was on, I, I think he was on MSNBC actually at this time. And Stephen Jones went on with the agreement that they were going to play a clip of building seven, like for the, like, which would have been like a first on a mainstream media network <laughs> to have an argument or a debate about building seven while at least showing a clip, because that's the whole thing. It's like, if the clip itself, if the video itself is so powerful that you look at it with your own eyes and you're like, that looks like controlled demolition, then that would have been like a big deal for, you know, where the movement was at the time. Back, millions of people watched the horror of 9-11 right before their very eyes, live on television. Two planes crashing into the World Trade Center. And less than a couple of hours later, both towers, of course, collapsing. My next guest says that hijackers may not have brought down the towers by themselves. Here to explain his controversial theory, Stephen Jones. He's a professor <coughs> of physics at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. Professor Jones, thanks for coming on. Sure, thanks, Tucker. This, well, just Glad sum up this, here. obviously, your uh, theory, just the, the one sentence uh, that I just explained uh, in the intro, contradicts what we all think we know about how these towers collapsed. Quickly sum up your explanation for what happened. <clears throat> what I'm doing, uh, Tucker, is presenting evidence, for, but it's a hypothesis to be tested. Uh, that's a big difference from a conclusion. Uh, and so I just wanted to clarify that. But to sum up, uh, I, I've looked at the uh, official reports by FEMA and so on uh, yes. regarding the collapse of yeah of these buildings. Right. I'd like to look at the collapse of Building Seven in just a minute. Uh, it was not even hit by a jet, okay, so we but, should but, look but, at so that one. The two one. towers. The, the explanation has been that the fire inside was so intense that it weakened the structural steel, and that each floor collapsed down upon the next in a pancake fashion and they imploded in on themselves. Is that essentially, I think, what people think? Uh, yeah, that's basically it, yeah. And so... Uh, Forrest, you believe there were explosives in the buildings planted by someone, detonated from you, I'm quoting now, it is quite plausible that explosives were pre-planted in all three buildings and set off after the two plane crashes, which were actually a diversion tactic. Muslims are probably right. not to blame for bringing down the World Trade Center buildings after all. Uh, that's, yeah. I would think, so, pretty offensive to a lot of people listening. Do you have any evidence for that? I mean, well, uh, uh, not, not to the Muslims, I might say. <laughs> well, that's a good <laughs> had a lot of emails. I'm, I'm sure, yeah, yeah, I'm sure your, yeah. your writings have been greeted with glee in Islamabad and Peshawar and places like that. But What was so interesting about that segment is Tucker is, he's lying, refused basically, on the play. segment. Yeah. He refused to play the clip and instead just showed a screenshot, <laughs> like a still of building seven, like just still standing. And Stephen Jones, the segment starts where they're like, kind of, there's a preamble about you think the government was involved in 9-11. You think that it was blown up and you, th and, and you wanted to talk about building seven today. And Stephen Jones is like, yes, Tucker, I play the clip. I want to talk, <laughs> talk about building seven today. And he's like, so can we, can we play the clip now that, um, he's all like soft you have up there? He's like, can we, and Tucker's uh, can like, we play the clip? <laughs> But I'm, I'm not going to let you off the hook. I really want to do this experiment with okay. you to well, we look at the We don't have a lot of time of for experiments, uh, Professor, but if you could just well, uh, just give us one thing to hold on to. How uh, You make this, these claims or appear to make these claims. Do you have any evidence that there were bombs in the building? The, sure, sure. Let's start with the uh, collapse of Building 7. Can you roll the video clip that I sent to you? Okay, I'm not sure uh, if we that, can, but to specify that is World Trade Center Building let's 7. Try. Smaller than the other two was not hit. Uh, by a plane, of course, yet it collapsed. Right. right, it's 47 stories. That's right. 
24 steel columns in the center. Right. Uh, trusses uh, asymmetrically uh, supported. Now, do you, I can't see what you're seeing, so we, we just, are you we rolling just see that? The, no, we just see the building. And the just so our viewers know, the explanation that I think is conventional is that there was a large tank of diesel fuel stored in the lower level of that, which mm -hmm. caught fire, and uh, the resulting right. fire collapsed the building. Well, Professor, I am sorry that we are out of time, and I, I'm not sure that whoa. Uh, you uh, one other thing I want to mention okay, about... Okay, if you can hit it... Uh, it sh it should be displayed right now, and Stephen Jones is like, "Well, are you are you playing the clip? Like, I don't see it playing. I just see like a still." And he's like, "Well, that's all we have. Like, you you know, you told us to put up a, a, a clip of Building Seven. We did that, and uh, and, and you know, Tucker's like clearly knows what game he's playing, which is fascinating because like, what happened there? It, what actually happened there? What, did Tucker decide on his own not to play it because he hadn't seen it before and he watched it and he's like, what the fuck? Like, it's." <laughs> We don't we don't know. But what's so funny is that after all this sort of conspiracizing, conspiracy bone throwing he's done on his program, on some other program almost that's a really two weird decades later. Yeah. He acted like and he said it that saying that asking questions about building seven will get you fired from your job, basically. <laughs> and that's one of those things that's an example of something that you can't talk about in media. And it is, it's absolutely mind-blowing, Abby, because when you watch any old clip of him talking about the Bush administration, he's on C-SPAN at least three times during the Bush administration. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of people calling up saying, how come you guys don't report on the story about the opportunity to catch bin Laden in February of 2001 and the, and the Bush administration didn't do it and, and the lies about WMDs and et cetera. And Tucker's reaction to almost every single time is just like guffawing, mockery, uh, like sarcasm, saying like, oh, that's a really important story. I, I'm sure, you know, that a <laughs> bunch of intrepid journalists and investigative journalists are going to be on that right away because it sounds like one of the most explosive stories of the year. You should call the Washington Post about that. I would say that if it's at all credible, um, it's, if it's even slightly plausible that that's true, um, it will be investigated vigorously, to say the least, by you know every American news organization. Um, and if it's true, uh, you know it's it's huge news. This is not about uh, handing the offer of Bin Laden, but it is about his operatives. It's on the front page of the New York Times today. James Risen and Raymond Bonner. Officials say the bomber, the Cole, was in Yemeni custody earlier. They write that one of the suicide bombers who evidence that he says links Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda to the bombing has never been turned over to the FBI. As we learn more and more about all of uh, what we knew and what we didn't know, do you have any sense of, of uh, how this might place in history? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I personally believe that it's going to completely change history's view of the Clinton administration because in, in retrospect, I think it's uh, much easier to see what was important um, at the time. And I think the Clinton administration was... Uh, negligent in many ways and that it mattered and that it had a real effect and people have been hesitant to say that I've been hesitant to say that one doesn't want to look like one is casting uh, aspersions or placing blame or pointing fingers or whatever the, the image is but there is blame to be placed and I think a lot of it uh, deserves to be placed in the Clinton administration I don't think anybody would honestly argue that Clinton President Clinton paid enough attention to Osama bin Laden. I mean, lamely lobbing, you know, three cruise missiles into an al-Qaeda camp and blowing up a volleyball court or whatever, um, right at the height of the Monica Lewinsky scandal, and then not following up on it 
uh, I think in retrospect will be seen as strengthening bin Laden. And I, I'm not, of course, saying that you know President Clinton is responsible for the events of September 11th. Of course, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that he was apparently, and it's becoming more apparent, negligent um, in addressing the threat of uh, Islamic terrorism. And I, and I just think as time passes, that, um, that view will harden, and that will become a, I think, popularly accepted understanding of the Clinton administration's shortcomings. I hope so, because I think it's true. Like, he would say stuff like that when people would just bring up, like, ba really basic shit that everybody agrees on now about how the Bush administration clearly ignored a bunch of warnings about 9-11, lied about WMDs, you know, all that kind of stuff. But for years and years, Abby, he's sitting there laughing at it and mocking when it. When it mattered. When it yeah, when fucking it mattered. mattered. And here we are 20 years later where he's like, you know what? He's like, why can't I ask questions about Building 7? It's like, I don't know, Tucker. Why, why is <laughs> that that you <laughs> did that? You want to tell us the inside scoop about what you did? I mean, here I, I have to read this, Abby, because it's just so it just so perfectly fits into what we're talking about. This is from... 2004 with Rachel Maddow, who, by the way, is his oh yeah protege. He picked her to co-host. Yeah, they and they were they they're still great friends yeah. apparently, yep. and they still socialize together. And also, Carlson and is still and Carlson is also still friends with George W. Bush, mm -hmm. and in fact had dinner at his house about a year ago yeah. or a year and a half ago. So let me just read to you from this transcript from a, a MSNBC little like panel from, what? from 2004. Oh, from 2004. Okay. So this is a Rachel Maddow and him talking. So she says, the most important thing for me heading into the speech, a Bush speech was a Washington post poll that came out this week that says that for the first time, a majority of Americans think that the president deliberately misled the country into going to war. That is a mind blowing statistic. I mean, people feel that there was a deliberate lie here. And so did he in his speech answer those concerns? Did he say, listen, this is why we went there. This is why we were wrong. This is why we're there now. But the Carl, that's Carlson saying, but, and then Maddow responds, he didn't answer any of those questions. And then Carlson interjects, what that poll doesn't ask, which is a more interesting and important question, is why would the president mislead us into going to war? I'm against the war. I think it was a mistake. I don't buy the idea we went in for sinister reasons. And if there's one thing that speech reassured me of this last night is that our reasons misguided as the war itself may be are honorable. We're not <laughs> there for oil. We're not there to colonize the Middle East. We're there to bring democracy to the region. I mean, that is the quintessential neocon talking point. I have misgivings about whether it can be done, but I don't think we're there for any impure reason. And then it, it, it just goes on and on and on like this. I mean, that, it, that was his whole media presence in terms of his quote unquote turn against the Iraq war for the like unforeseeable future at that point. Like he didn't really ever concede or say, Oh yeah, we, we were lied to like that was, they, they really, you know, that was, that was like a cruel lie. They misled us. They manipulated us. He talked, he uses those kinds of terms all the time now and just talk like pontificating about conspiracies. He doesn't even know are happening you know, in his, mon in his monologues on his TV show. So I just wanted to just drop that because it's just such a fascinating evolution, you know, or, or, or rebranding, whatever you want to call it. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's a couple really amazing ones. I couldn't find the video for the Media Matters one. I don't know if you did, but I didn't know. Yeah. But I mean, let me just read a quick quote for that, because, you know, when Colin Powell died, everyone had, of course, the revisionist history about how he was this great honorable man without mentioning that he just stood up there um, like a fucking clown holding up this vial of anthrax claiming that Saddam had bioweapons labs. So when Colin Powell died, Carlson did this monologue about him and how, you know, he really wasn't going along with the Bush administration's Iraq war lies and all this stuff. So that's funny enough, right, that he was trying to revise Colin Powell's history. But of course, when you go back to Carlson's own history, there's so many clips like the one that you're talking about, Robbie, um, you know, during that that crosstalk show that he that he hosted. He talks, this is like the craziest one that I've seen. And it's hard to find these videos because we're talking about, you know, 20 years ago. But this is what he says. He's like, um, he's like, that Democratic Party has no credibility on terrorism or foreign policy. Today we learned. And then the other guy says, the American people think Bush would lie. And he's like, no, because today we know for sure that Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. They have chemical and biological weapons. And the question remains, what do we do about it? And the guy was like, Tucker, we've known for 20 years that that, that guy has had chemical weapons. And he's like, but what are we doing about it, Paul? We quote some stupid polls saying people don't believe. I mean, come on. And the guy's here. But the question is about the president's credibility. He wants to lead us to war. And the majority of his countrymen are worried that he's lying to us. And for good reason. Carlson, that's not the question. The question is there's a lunatic with weapons that could kill the civilized world. What do we do about it? And I await an answer. God damn. I mean, it is, you know, on one hand, I could see how certain people could try to spin it as like, he was in bed with these neocons and, and he was like some kind of errand boy for them and regrets his role in that like 20 years later. But no one's ever frames it that way. Do you know what I mean? Like that would. That and why would almost, give him a pass? Why give him a pass? And none of exactly. these other. Why none of these other people? But instead, the, the framing, even from the most like. <laughs> The framing from the people who fully acknowledge his neocon past is never like that. It's so much more favorable than the the framing I was just saying. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. it's so much more giving him a free pass than even that. That it's it is cartoonishly whitewashing him as a figure. And I, even in his book Ship of Fools, where he throws Bill Crystal and Robert Kagan under the bus, two of his coworkers and his his employer at Weekly Standard, in his book. His book is really not, it doesn't really throw any, let's say it doesn't really reveal anything about them. He worked with these people for, I don't know, something like six years, and he really doesn't have much to reveal about that relationship. So what is his actual role as some kind of, you know, even trying to pretend to be an anti-establishment guy who's turned against the neocons? It's like, his book was the opportunity to be like, I worked with these people, yeah, I know what they're like. Deer. Yeah, let's, let's tell deer. you. Let me tell you what they were saying about the Iraq War, just to show you how horrific it was. No, you know that he heard some crazy shit while working at the Weekly Standard. But the thing is, Abby, he probably fully agreed with it, and still, on some level, must agree with it. This is the thing. It's like how sincere, how earnest are these? This turnaround against war. I mean. He never really goes after specifics of what the Bush administration did, even to this day. So I think that's sort of an indicator of like, 
it's just like all these other Republicans who moved on from the Bush era, never took accountability, and can just pretend like they're anti-war now. And also, let's just say Fox News, it probably helps them to not seem like they're the main warmongering network anymore if they have someone like Tucker doing this layer of branding on top, saying, you know, making it seem like he's anti-war. That probably helps Fox News a little bit because they were like the main Bush cheerleader during the Bush administration. They were the main war network. That's what they were. I mean, so I don't know. I mean, I think that that's also a reason why that messaging also worked for Fox corporate, not just like, oh, you know, this channeling this wing of like the Trump era's, um, you know, MAGA right populism. I I do think that also helps the network on a marketing level moving forward too. Absolutely. No, I mean, it is is a great point that he has position himself to pretend to be this anti-neocon renegade who came out of the neocon cabal unscathed somehow because he realized the errors of his ways but we never heard it's just like Tulsi it's like when was that moment when was your Judith Miller moment where you said I was wrong this I take it all back he just kind of has said here and there like my biggest regret is supporting the Iraq war it's like But you were so responsible for it, right? You were so responsible for being one of the central figures that was selling it at the time that it mattered the most. Coming out now, 20 years later, it doesn't mean much. And it certainly doesn't give you credibility moving forward. I'm reminded of another episode of Crossfire with Tucker um, and James Carville, I guess, was his co-host at the time, that he talks about Iran having a nuclear weapon. This is June 18, 2003. He's arguing with a Wall Street Journal journalist and he's just like, he's like, that's the problem about the left. Anything Bush says must be wrong. But what if it's right? What if there's evidence that Iran's building nuclear weapons? And the guy was like, well, that's the danger. Um, There's that story about the little boy who cried wolf. He was like, we can't believe this man because he's shown himself willing to stretch the truth. And he was like, Carlson's like, that's the danger with becoming an obsessive Bush hater. Hmm. Trump derangement syndrome much? Remember, this all started with really Bush derangement syndrome. Tucker, aren't we the only country allowed to make preemptive strikes? Who the hell does Iran think it is? <laughs> Actually, I, I know you're sort of kidding, but I agree with that. I think we yeah. are the only no, country. No, I'm with not the kidding moral at authority. all. Rather, we yeah. are. That's absolutely right. The only country with the moral authority sufficient to do that. The only country that doesn't seek hegemony in the world. I do think, I'm sure I'm the lone voice in saying this, I think Iran deserves to be annihilated. I think they're lunatics. I think they're evil. I do think we ought to assess what would happen to the price of energy were we to do that. This And this shows just how contemptuous he was to people who disagreed with him. He was just like, you're blind to reality. I'm worried about you. Jesus and the guy Christ. was like, the guy was like, but he said that they'd find all these nuclear weapons in Iraq. And he was like, why would he make it up? Carlson's like, why would Bush make that up? And then and then the guy was just like, but he did. And Carlson's like, he's like, it doesn't obscure the headline, which is Saddam is gone. Millions of Iraqis are by definition liberated and the region is safer i want to hear this question answered liberal critics imply the president lied about the war lied about wmds to get us to war why would he lie what would be his motive for lying and don't don't forget robbie that later when he did have that big moment right after he goes to iraq smiling with private mercenaries holding an ar or whatever with dine people 
He claims that he left Iraq being an opponent of neoconservatism and an opponent of the Iraq war. But what he is quoted as saying after this big moment of like realization, not that, oh, it was wrong. The neocons are evil. This was all really, you know, I was like hoodwinked. He just basically throws Iraqis under the bus and he's like, He's like, yeah, it's not like the Iraqis decided to behave like human beings. He's like, we he's like, we don't have any control. The big lesson of Iraq is that it's difficult to control other people's countries. He said Iraq is a shitty place filled with a bunch of, you know, semi-literate primitive monkeys. And that's why it wasn't worth invading. Iraq is a crappy place filled with a bunch of, you know, yeah. semi-literate keep primitive bearing, monkeys. But I just have zero sympathy for them or their culture, a culture where people just don't use toilet paper or forks. Hey, I gotta, I, I, and the way they treat women, you know, I, I agree with you. Their, their culture is, is, but you're in their homeland, and you're over there as an American who they hate, and they want nothing more than the Americans off of their soil. So they're yeah, not going to play games. Second we, I mean, they can just shut the fuck up and obey, is my view. <laughs> How could you salvage Iraq at this point? I don't, you know, it's beyond our control. I mean, if somehow the Iraqis decided to behave like human beings or something. He, he'd need to say, look, I'm a bigot, okay? I'm a bigot. I don't like Islamic extremists. Like, if you are really heavily into Islam, I really I, I'm sorry. I just don't, I don't care for you that much. And I don't care what that sounds like. You can call me a racist. You can come where the fuck you want. And, and at this juncture, you could say that and not catch a lot of shit for you it. You certainly could. I'd vote for you if you said that. Just so people know where this is coming from, this is back when people didn't realize they would be recorded and put on the internet when they could go on these, like, edgy radio shows. This was the Man Cow Show that was kind of trying to be a shock jock program that was like very friendly to right wingers in the early 2000s. So Tucker probably didn't think that this was going to ever be transcribed or recorded. Um, and But that, that to me shows that's his actual candid real thoughts. He wasn't trying to be edgy because he was on this program or show off. That, that was his candid real beliefs about what he actually believed. And it just, it's really... I think it requires a lot of mental gymnastics to absolve him of of what he did because he he literally wrote in the same issues with people like Max Boot. I'm rattling off to you an actual credit list on a Weekly Standard issue that he wrote in. Max Boot, David Frum, Michael Goldfarb, Frederick Kagan, Britt Hume, Robert Kagan, Charles Krauthammer, John Podhoritz. These are all like people who are associated with creating the blueprints for the Iraq war. One of the guys in here is accredited for doing the Iraq and Afghanistan surge. That These are not just people who are right wing or who are pro-Bush. They are people who literally laid the blueprints for and lobbied the Bush administration for the Iraq war and 17 members from their think tank, the project for the new American century directly transitioned into high positions in the Bush administration. And then what role does Tucker play? Well, you can almost argue that he was probably the most omnipresent TV personality, part of this neocon clique to argue on behalf of the war that actually puts him in a position, which is like basically criminal. He should have received criminal penalties, like been thrown in jail for playing that role. I mean, he deserves a lot, a lot more criticism for playing this role. And then also just sort of trying to slink away from this group of people he was associated with and then mildly throw them under the bus almost 25 years later without revealing anything about 
anything that they really said that's re- may, really makes him look dirty. It's it's just to me, it, it's actually just makes him look more suspicious because the rebranding is so blatantly transparent that he's doing it in like a very strategic media savvy way to create like a new type of following. And he, he's greatly succeeded in that. And it's, I just, I just blows my mind um, that it wasn't just, yeah, like I said, it wasn't just, she was like a Hannity or one of these guys. He literally worked at the same Bill Crystal owned neocon magazine with all the most deadly neocons who, most of them didn't end up serving in the Bush administration, except for David Frum. But these you can't make an argument that these people were not like some of the most influential neocons in terms of the war. They're architects. That's exactly what, yeah. They're literally the most influential people possible, like arguably more than Bush himself, because they were the ones who actually created the, the blueprint for all of this, the entire reimagination of of the U.S. empire. Um I forgot one take about why Tucker was ousted and, and it kind of just feels like a plot out of succession. But it, I, I read somewhere that the Murdoch kids are trying to sell the corporation relatively soon and that Tucker's presence is so nuclear that they just had to make moves to eradicate his presence um, before they actually sold it. But who knows? That could just be, a, again, just like a whatever story based on unknown sources. He does a few C-SPAN segments. The only thing that I wanted to recap in one of them, I mean, I could just synopsize what he said. It's basically when the idea that Gore won the election and that Bush basically stole the election comes up from a few callers. He does his chortling, mocking, sarcastic laughter and just talks about how absurd and ludicrous it is then anybody's still holding on to this and it amuses them. It amuses him to see Democrats being mad about it um, and all this stuff. And it's just like, it's just so funny how much of a, just a Bush cheerleader he was. I mean, he, he was one of the biggest on television. I mean, that's something I actually didn't even realize until going back to some of these old clips. I know it is really surreal actually to see firsthand like written out how grotesque the propaganda really was coming from Tucker. Pretty gross. Again, it's just like none of these Republicans, including him, have ever really taken accountability for their role in doing that. And he seems to have played a bigger role than most of these other people. I mean, as far as a Republican, like a hired regular person who was like a employee of the news network, not a guest, not a pundit who would come on in panels, but a regular host employee to be pushing this kind of Iraq war propaganda that took up a lot of space. And I think we need to recognize that and be like, wait a second, he's really cravingly trying to rebrand here. Here's a good little wrap up of the Iraq war part, an incredible interview that he did with Britney Spears. Better talk with her than Crossfire co-host Tucker Carlson. Take a look. So you don't notice any sort of shift in the way you present yourself. Three years ago was sort of the, you know, example of clean living, and do you think that's changed? I think I'm still clean living, you know. That's, I mean, when I, I don't go home and have orgies or anything like that, I'm still the same person that I've always been, so. Uh, you're going to be on the National Mall uh, soon performing uh, mm-hmm. for Pepsi and the NFL, uh, and also to support our troops. A lot of entertainers have come out against the war in Iraq. Uh, have you? 
Honestly, I think we should just trust our president in every decision that he makes, and we should just support that, you know, and um, be faithful in what happens. Do you trust this president? Yes, I do. Excellent. Do you think he's going to win again? Um, I don't know. I don't know that. You, you work with Pepsi for a long time. What I'm, what I'm going to end up asking you is, what you know, you know, you sat down with her. What is she really like? What did she seem like at just at sitting one-on-one? -on -one? She seemed very young. She seemed younger than a person who would bear her midriff. I mean, the, the impression I came away with was that it would be wrong to have uh, adult thoughts about Britney Spears. I mean, she may be 21, but she seems, again, young in a nice way. And that's going to do it for part one of this two-part series. Check out part two. And don't forget to go to patreon.com slash Radio to support what we do. Thanks so much.